Well, good morning, Jim. How are you? Hey, Ralph. I'm fine. And uh, not only good morning, good uh, 2022. This is our first podcast of the uh, new year. Yes, and we're uh, we're looking forward to it. We uh, are going to try and make it more focused on stuff that's practical for you, the listener, and uh, maybe even... Uh, uh, reduce the amount of time you have to listen to our dulcet tones uh, and be a little more focused. So that was our New Year's resolution. Okay, well, a New Year's revolution here, Ralph. All right. So we uh, we even have kind of a, an idea of what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, couple of months, right? We do. I think okay. this, this week and next week we're going to be talking about some early intervention projects Yeah. and some research that goes along with them. And one of the things that early intervention means is uh, basically we're talking about uh, kids uh, before school age. Yeah. So uh, early education, head start, uh, preschool with certain parameters around the term preschool. Okay. Now, uh, the University of Pennsylvania or Penn State did a recent study, right? Right. Uh, and it was done at Penn State. Okay. It was done uh, under the leadership of uh, Karen Berman, uh, who's a researcher in uh, early education. And one of the interesting things that she found was that if you look at uh, students in later life, and I'm, I'm talking here about the end of uh, elementary school, uh, what we used to call grade seven, and students at the end of grade nine, uh, we find that there can be significant results. So that in her study, she looked at what was going on in, in preschool and then what the results were later on. Later on, Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I'm going to... Um, tell a story for our listeners here, a story about my daughter. Okay. We like stories. Who has been an um, early elementary school teacher, a preschool teacher, for all of her working life. And the, the story is basically about what she's finding now in her classroom that, was, that is different uh, than what she found 25 years ago. Okay. And one of the things that she's finding that's different is the students who are coming in, she now has a class of about 30 students. And in that class, she has 25 different native languages wow. that, that are spoken in the home. Okay. Now, she's in Canada, right? Right. Canada's a real, you know, a real assimilation kind of, kind of place, no question. And, uh, you know, we, uh, when we think of Canada, we tend to think of English and French. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, uh, particularly in the area that she is in, in southern Ontario, where we've had uh, massive surges of immigration, uh, where the people decided that southern Ontario was the place for them to be, there's lots of jobs available, there's... Uh, good social services, uh, and 
It's not nearly as cold on average over the year than it is in the howling wilderness where Jim and I were raised. <laughs> so, howling wilderness, okay. So, but what I'm hearing is that uh, there's a lot of diversity then in the preschool classes that she's teaching. Yes, right? there's okay. a lot of diversity. And one of the things that the school uh, focuses on is uh, helping children to learn uh, to communicate with each other and with the world in English. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I mean, if you, uh, if you speak uh, uh, Urdu, uh, there's maybe going to be a thousand people in Toronto who speak Urdu, but there are going to be very few people in the rest of Canada. So there's, you know, a push to speak either English or French. If you were to have in a, a, a preschool in Quebec, you would probably be emphasizing French. Yeah. It's interesting. One of the things that uh, Sheila and I discovered when we were putting together Living Books curriculum for um, uh, kids in uh, other countries, and we've got uh, uh, schools or people using our curriculum in Africa and India, and it was tried out in China, and uh, the the uh, desire was to teach in English yeah. because English was seen as the... Uh, the universal language. Right. Kind of. You yeah. could go anywhere if you spoke English, you could mm -hmm. get along. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, I think, very much the case. Now, the kids that uh, my daughter works with, uh, one of the things that she says uh, is that there is a wide range of child-rearing practices and expectations. And some of her students in uh, pre-elementary uh, are raised in households that expect them to mind uh, and to be mannerly, and others kind of have a, I never discipline my child, I, uh, you know, don't... Uh, don't speak to them when they're behaving badly. Uh, and that carries through. Now, Jim, you were telling me about uh, one of your clients who is uh, considerably older than preschool, but who was uh, throwing a chair around uh, in, in his uh, schoolroom. Yeah, right. And it, in kindergarten, he was expelled from school. And uh, the only way that he could... Uh, get to, into school was that if uh, uh, I had uh, seen him uh, five days a week for at least an hour a day. You know, to, and uh, uh, I got some of that behavior, you know, also. Um, I followed this uh, person up, and um, uh, he has no recollection of me or the, the year plus that we spent together. Uh, and he's a, you know, a, a social guy. You know, uh -huh. Within, actually, within uh, the town that we we live in, he's a, a business guy. And, right. Yeah. So, early intervention does does work, no question. Well, but let's go back to the Penn State State study. Easy for me to say. Um, what specifically did they do, and what did they find? Well, what they did, they they used two things. They had a um, a ready program. Um, that was aimed at improving uh, social and emotional skills, uh, as well as early language and literacy skills. So okay. 
uh, it Jim, makes sense. Jim and I both had the experience of uh, having gone to a kindergarten where kindergarten kids did not read, quote, did not read. And we were, had both been taught to read by our parents, and we got to kindergarten, and uh, for the next year, we didn't read. Yeah, in fact, my parents were told, don't let Jim read. You know, it's yeah. going to be harmful for him later on. Yeah, which is absolutely ludicrous in what we know about uh, child pedagogy today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, so they're, they're aiming at social-emotional skills, language, literacy, the things that we have been talking about, uh, and literacy in terms of stories. Now, Jim, you were talking about uh, uh, Sheila, who is now... Uh, exploring and and learning more about uh, fairy stories uh, in terms of the traditional uh, stories, which many children were told for literally a thousand years, I guess, in one variation or another, and kids today don't get that. Yeah, right. Um, they, uh, they get other kinds of stories, but uh, not the... Uh... Not the the goblins and the ghosties and the you know yeah yeah the, or the story of Finn McCool and the and the preservation of Tara which is one of the Irish stories mm -hmm. uh, and so what happened through this Ready program uh, was that uh, students were introduced to concept like understanding feelings, uh -huh. their own and other people. Okay, empathy. Cooperation, friendship skills, how do you make friends, mm -hmm. uh, how do you keep friends, and self-control skills in the example that we had of the, the kid in kindergarten who was throwing the chair at other people. I mean, obviously, there's a little, lack of self-control skills. A little control issue there. Yeah. 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 Um, so... Particularly what they did for, uh, for this was they, uh, they had a program that they called Preschool Paths, Promoting Alternative Thinking Strategies. Okay. Paths. So uh, if, if you, the listener, think about it, I mean, a lot of kids grow up with um, only one thinking strategy. And I'll give you an example from Peanuts. Uh, Charlie Brown is standing on the corner, and he's saying, uh, I was at the bus stop, and the little red-headed girl that I like so much came up and stood beside me, and I didn't know what to do or what to say, so I hit her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> typical. <laughs> I won't even go there. Okay, but, so... But the thing is, if you have alternative uh, thinking strategies, you might be able to say, so I said hi. Right. So right. I said, are you going to the library? So I said, you know, yeah. all kinds of other things. So, so, so Yeah, a, a wide behavioral repertoire, as we might say. Yeah. Okay. So this is a, a relatively new study. And uh, it's interesting, the, um, when it's coming out now, and it's a, a, um, a way of promoting the notion of preschool education, which President Biden really wants to uh, uh, showcase in his uh, new uh, 
budget proposals. He wants to see universal preschool education. And we have to mention that we're not talking about daycare here. We're talking about a school curriculum. Yes, and, and where a focus. we have we have trained teachers mm -hmm. who uh, are um, ready and able to uh, to teach the alternative thinking strategies and to deal with language building and so on and so forth. So many people in today's world, I think, hear preschool and what they're thinking is, okay, that's uh, six hours worth of babysitting for my kid. Right, and we're not talking about that. And you know, Ralph, that we've had uh, research all over the last 50 years or so that really does stress the importance of these formative years. And one of the big um, uh, research projects was done right here in Michigan. Okay. It was called the Perry School Project. All right. I uh, I know that you have uh, said you you uh, were going to talk about that today, but I don't know very much about it. So, okay. So tell us more. Well, this is uh, was done in Ypsilanti uh, around oh the middle part of the 1960s. Okay. And the uh, project was referred to as High Scope. Now you don't hear very much about High Scope, but I'm going to put a link in so that people can go there. But High Scope has morphed into what we now know in uh, America as uh, Head Start. Okay. Now, the the uh, uh, thing to underline here is that the Perry School Project was, like you said, a high-quality educational program with uh, trained teachers and a big research base. Um, so much in education seems to be kind of non-research-driven. Uh, I can remember when I was a psychologist at a school for boys in New Jersey that the principal came up to me one day and said, well, can you recommend a different math program? And I said, I suppose I could. Um, uh, what's wrong with the one you have? And Well, we've had it for a long time. He said, does it work? Said, well, we don't know. So I said, well, let me just do a little bit of work on this. So I did set up a small research project and found that this program that wasn't very sexy, uh, worked really, really well at teaching these delinquent kids uh, how to add, subtract, multiply, divide, and do higher levels of math. And so we kept the, the program in place. But uh, even though we spend a lot of money in educational research, uh, sometimes we just maybe ask the wrong questions, or maybe we don't delve deep enough into the, to the ultimate consequences of what we do. And that's where the Perry School Project really is different from a lot of research. Uh, they have been looking at uh, program outcomes for 45, 50 plus years. And okay. you know what? The stuff that you do with children at age two or three has some significant positive consequences later on in their life. Okay, now one of the things, Jim, and this goes back to the uh, Penn State stuff, uh, what they found for Head Start was that a lot of people in the Head Start program uh, have their kids in Head Start because it might be a single parent family. Uh, the mother is working or the father is working. Uh, it might be um, a low income situation. A variety of things that keep the what we used to think traditionally, let's say in the 
in the 1860s as the relationship between parents and their child, where kids basically followed around father and mother uh, and learned a whole bunch of stuff and learned attitudes and, and uh, interactions through following their parents. Well, okay. in today's world, that doesn't happen so much. Yeah, okay, that's a good, good point. The, um, the research uh, out of um, the Perry School Project sort of takes this into account. Um, the uh, kids who go to the, the uh, uh, high school program um, are, are war, at least uh, initially, just randomly selected. So you were either in the program or you weren't. And then you were followed up, the, the child was followed up at uh, age five, age 10, and then into adulthood. And uh, uh, the, the consequences of a good uh, preschool education were that the children who were in the Perry School program uh, did not get arrested as frequently as the people who were not in the program. A good outcome. Yeah. They had uh, higher IQ scores at age five. They had higher um, uh, basic skills scores at age 14. But even, uh, I suppose, more important than that, although that's pretty important, they made more money than kids who, were, uh, as adults, who were in the uh, control group. Um, they, uh, uh, they paid more in taxes. And for every dollar spent in preschool education uh, at, at Perry School, the Perry School Project, the payback for every dollar, Ralph, Okay, seventeen thousand bucks. Okay, so if if my taxes spend a dollar, a dollar uh, working with a kid who's in the modern equivalent of the Perry School Project, uh, his success rate later in life is going to repay the tax base seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah, that's it exactly, and uh, and there are a number of different ways of, of thinking about it. You know how do you, you know, how do you uh, kind of amortize that money? Well, uh, hey, if uh, you remember, I mentioned uh, arrests. Mm -hmm. Well, if you put a person in uh, prison, you are housing them, warehousing them, I suppose, to the extent of fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's a negative drain. Yeah. Whereas with yeah. with both the Penn State program, as I understand it, we've got kids who have been civilized, right? Yeah, and, 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 and productive. Know, one of the things that uh, the idealist would say is that uh, kids come into the world as perfect little darlings. And the reality <laughs> is that Kids are little animals. That's what my dentist was talking about the other day. Yeah, little savages, and they've got to be socialized. Yeah, and, you know, we, we like to think that, oh, my Johnny is never going to do anything bad or is inherently uh, self-regulating, neither of which are true. And so you have, to, uh, you have to teach kids to build what, back in the day, we used to call character. Yeah. Okay. Now, the Penn State study is very much in the same way as the study you're citing, Jim. They followed up kids from their preschool, their paths training and their ready training, 
And what they found was that as kids went on, uh, grade seven, they were more successful academically, they were more successful socially. Grade nine, the same thing, more successful academically and socially. And more of them graduated from high school than we might expect from the grand, uh, random group or did find from the random group who were not trained by this preschool methodology. Okay, so the research is pretty clear, Ralph. Uh, early intervention can help cognitively, it can help behaviorally, it can help social and emotionally, and so it seems like it's a good investment. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that, that is kind of interesting, when we look at the uh, the current um, economic drive to increase the uh, uh, preschool education, people are saying, well, that's going to cost a lot of money. The money comes back to you in the long run in uh, deferred social costs that you're not going to have to pay. So my uh, argument for our readers would be if you are anticipating or have a young child, try and find a quality preschool program for them to enter. Hmm. That's a 